chapter. has been painting a pretty bleak picture of humanity. We concluded that by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And Paul had put together that string of pearls from the Psalms and from Isaiah when he talked about there's none that does good, uh, there's none righteous, there's none who seeks after God, not even one. And prior to that, Paul had of hope. He talked about the gospel of Jesus. Christ. He said he's not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. That great quote from the prophet Habakkuk, which would appear three times also in the New Testament. And he, he, he gave us a glimmer of hope talking about the righteousness of God. Now from 118 to 320, he's been talking about the wrath of God and how the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men who suppress the truth, those who, as the King James says, hold the truth in unrighteousness. And we talked about the pagan, the man who refuses to worship God. And so he turns and worship, he's bound to worship something. And so he turns to worship the creature rather than the creator. His mind becomes futile. He worships idols. He's turned over to sexual immorality. His idolatry leads to immorality. And then we talked about the plight of the moralist. Comparatively speaking, he may be better than the murderer or the adulterer, but he says he's a hypocrite, Paul said, because the one who judges and condemns does the same things. And then he talked about those who trust in circumcision. And we could insert our modern uh, trimmings of religiosity today. We could talk about baptism or church membership or any such thing, trusting in anything other than the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul concluded that all three categories of people, the pagan, the moralist, and the religious person, are all guilty before God. Now that is a rather disturbing concept, isn't it? But the good news is that God does not leave us in the dark. Timothy Keller described the portion of Scripture I'm going to read today, and we're going to read beginning in verse 21 through the end of the chapter. Timothy Keller says that this is a diamond laid upon a black cloth. If you've ever, ever been in a jewelry store, you know how they'll lay the, the, uh, that sparkling jewelry on the backdrop of a black cloth. And, and when it does, that diamond shines even brighter. Paul has been telling us how dark things are without God, but now he's going to shine the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful that I can preach this today because this is a passage of Scripture that changed the world. It was one of the main texts that Martin Luther was inspired to to begin the Protestant Reformation. And so I'm, uh, I, I'm walking in some, some pretty uh, venerable footsteps this morning. Romans 3.21, Paul says, But now... In the Greek, the prepositional phrase is nuni day. We talked about the peri day construction uh, Wednesday night 
in 1 Thessalonians. This is noonie day. Thank God for the but nows of Scripture. We were dead in trespasses, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he hath loved us, hath quickened us and made us alive. I'm glad for those but gods in the scriptures, or but now. But now, the righteousness of God, or literally a righteousness that comes from God, a perfect righteousness, a righteousness that will take us from earth to heaven. <clears throat> Without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Let me just pray really quick. My mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Give me a mouth and wisdom, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says that the righteousness of God without law is manifested. Just as the wrath of God has been revealed, is being revealed uh, from heaven against all ungodliness, now the righteousness of God is being revealed. Glory to God. He has done so without the law. <clears throat> Now, it's important that Paul says that this righteousness of God is not a new concept. <clears throat> it's something that was, predict was predicted in the law of Moses and in the prophet, the prophetic scriptures. Uh, Moses t told the people, uh, God said that a prophet would, would God raise up like unto Moses. He would be that prophet, and the people would listen. We see in all the Old Testament sacrifices, they point to the Redeemer. They point to the Messiah. Jesus the Christ. We see uh, Abraham on Mount Moriah and the lamb that is caught, the ram caught in the thicket as a picture. And justification by faith was not a new concept. Paul is going to develop this even further in Romans chapter 4. So I won't steal my own thunder. He's going to develop that Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. He was not given the sign of circumcision until he was justified by his faith. And we can look through all the Old Testament that, that predicted the fact that God would justify by faith. You know, the Old Testament saints were saved the same way you and I are. They were not saved by keeping the law. God never gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel as a means of salvation. He never said, if you'll keep these ten rules, you can go to heaven. That, that was never the purpose. The, the law does not bring righteousness. The law brings the knowledge of sin. Paul says the law is a ministry of condemnation. It, it shows us God's standard and how we fall miserably short of it. But we need a righteousness that comes from God. God provided this righteousness. He says in verse 22, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. Now, just as Paul had been careful to show us in the previous uh, passages of Scripture and in the chapters prior to this, that all have sinned and all are guilty and there is none righteous, no, not one. Even so now, just as we are universally guilty before God, now everyone universally can be right with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're white, if you're black, if you're Hispanic, if you're uh, African, if you're Asian. It makes no difference because the same Lord is rich to all who call upon Him. There is no difference. The, 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 we, all come to Jesus, we all come to God on the same basis, and that is on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and Him alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Glory to God. He's, the righteousness comes by faith upon all them that believe. What is the work that we have to do? The work that we must do? They asked Jesus, they said, what can we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus said, Here's, this is the work that you need to do. Believe on the one that the Father has 
finished work of Jesus Christ. Verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We quote that a lot, but I don't know if we believe it or not. Every human being that has ever lived, that has ever been born into this world, except for Jesus Christ, he is the one notable exception. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Paul said that, uh, that God has made Christ, uh, we, we've been made the righteousness of God in him who knew no sin. Jesus would make sin for us, but he himself knew no sin. But there's not a human being alive who has not sinned. There's not a human being alive that hasn't broken one of the commandments of God. Not one person, not one person in this parking lot is perfect. I hate to bust your bubble. And that includes the preacher. Nobody's perfect that has ever lived except for Jesus Christ. And he says, all have sinned and all have come short. Or literally they have missed the mark of the glory of God. You see, the, the standard for heaven is perfection. The standard for heaven is not mediocrity. It's not comparative goodness. It's not we're in the scales, you know, and, and if our good works somehow outweigh our bad works, that God will let us into heaven. The standard of heaven is perfection. It is the glory of God. When Adam was created in the Garden of Eden, he was perfect. But when he sinned, man lost his glory. And we have been forever separated from God. There's been a chasm between God and man. That chasm is wide. It would be like trying to swim from uh, from the Gulf of Mexico uh, to, to to somewhere in a in a faraway place. Let's go from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to Europe. You know, imagine trying to swim from uh, from Florida all the way to Europe. Uh, just 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 trying to swim. Now, some people can't swim, and they would drown immediately when they got out out of their depth. Uh, others might go uh, maybe several hundred feet before they succumb to to drowning. Uh, others might be really great swimmers, but after maybe 50 or 60 miles, eventually they would succumb to the water. And it wouldn't matter whether they were a bad swimmer or a decent swimmer or, a, or a, uh, an Olympic swimmer. If they drown, they're all drowned. That's, such is the nature of sin. Such is the nature of the glory of God. The glory of God is beyond human reach. Now, if I were to try to, to reach the stars from this bell tower, I would be miserably short, wouldn't I? I wouldn't come anywhere close. Even if I got a stepladder, I wouldn't be able to touch the stars. Even if I touched Mount Kilimanjaro, if I climbed the summit of K2 or, uh, or, or some other mountain, uh, some high mountain, I still wouldn't be able to reach the stars. And that is minute in comparison to the glory of God. It is unattainable by human effort because all have come short of the glory of God. And now we get to the good stuff. Verse 24, he says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We could spend about six weeks on this one verse, but we don't have time this morning. So I'm just going to hit some high points here. First thing he says, we're justified. That word justified is a legal declaration. It means God has declared you and I not guilty. Now, I've heard preachers said it too. It's not factual. Some people say justification means it's just as if I never sinned. That's not true. Because the Bible doesn't say that we haven't sinned. The Bible says that we have been forgiven. That our trespasses have been forgiven. We have sinned. But we have been declared righteous. The word justification doesn't mean to be made righteous. That's part of 
part of sanctification. God is continually conforming us to the image of his son. Justification is a once for all, a legal declaration where God bangs the gavel of heaven and based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, he declares us not guilty. Now he's justified. Now that word freely is translated in another place without cause. Jesus said in John's gospel, they hated me without a cause. It's the same Greek word. And, and God literally justifies us on no basis of any good work we've done. There's not one justified us on the basis of what we've done. Paul would say to the Ephesians, he said, it's not of works you're saved by grace, not of works lest any man mercy is not giving us what we do deserve. God's grace is giving us what we could never deserve in a thousand lifetimes. Through the redemption, that word redemption would have been a familiar concept to anyone living in Rome. I read somewhere last night even that during the first century over half of the Roman population were slaves. This was a concept they were well familiar with. And the Jewish people there certainly would have been familiar with the slavery motif because their whole history as a nation is one of deliverance from bondage. Uh, they identify with the exodus from Egypt and slavery. And, and that's what God did. God redeemed us. He, he paid the price of redemption. Jesus paid. There, see, we were all sold as slaves unto sin. We were born slaves to sin. Remember what we read last week or week before? Paul says that the scripture had concluded that we were all under sin that we were all under sin's power. We were slaves to sin. But now we have become, now we have become alive but to righteousness because Jesus Christ paid the price. He paid the price for our redemption. When Jesus died on that cross, he said an interesting phrase. He said, it is finished in English. In the Greek, it is one word, to telestai. And it means paid in full. It, is, it carries with it the idea of a debt being paid in full. Christ died on that cross. He paid the ransom for your deliverance and my deliverance. God paid the price. God now in verse 25, he says, Whom God hath set forth. I don't want you to miss that. Sometimes we read over things and we underread. It says God has set forth. That phrase set forth means that God didn't do it in a corner. That God put it on display. Let's keep going here. I, I've, I'm about to shout. I might take a running fit. I might have to get out of this chair here in a minute. I feel like Charles Stanley up here in the pulpit. Thank you for whoever put this chair up here. God bless you. And whoever put the fan up here, God bless you even more. <laughs> but he says in verse 25, Whom God hath set forth to be a, and the King James says, a propitiation. In the Greek, the Greek word is hilasterion. It's only used two times in the New Testament. There's a lot of controversy. Uh, the commentators are divided about what it means. I'm going to tell you what I think it means. You do your own research here in a moment. A propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Again, this is a, uh, a mouthful here. We could spend a lot of time. But a propitiation, the, the word is translated in Hebrews chapter 9 as mercy seat. And the closest thing I guess we have to picture is from Leviticus 16. And it is a picture of the Day of Atonement uh, in the Hebrew, Yom Kippur. And it is when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies one time a year during the Day of Atonement. And he would bring the sacrifice for himself and for the sins of the people. And over that mercy, that mercy seat 
was over the tablet of the law, that law that you and I have broken, those two tables of the law, those Ten Commandments that every human being has broken, that represents the guilt of all humankind. But above that law was this, this, this mercy seat. And upon the mercy seat, the blood was, was applied. And there was the, the presence of God, the visible presence of God would appear there on the mercy seat. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Now, for the high priest on Yom Kippur, that was done in secret. Only that one man could go into the Holy of Holies. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died on Calvary's hill for the whole world to see. He died. It wasn't done in a corner. God set forth. Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, he said, even as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Suspended between the heavens and the earth for those hours on Passover, that, that glorious Passover when Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. Propitiation through faith in his blood. That blood is still powerful, just as powerful today as it was uh, when he died on that Good Friday uh, as, a, as the Passover lamb. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. God, in olden times, he passed over the sins. Uh, he, I don't want to say he winked at them, but there was not a full retribution for sin. God always was merciful. He didn't give the full, he never gave the full, uh, full measure of wrath in the Old Testament. You know, even when Adam sinned, God didn't wipe out the whole uh, human race after that. When in Noah's day, in Genesis chapter 6, when the whole world had become corrupt, uh, the scripture says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was not saved by law. Noah found grace. He was saved by grace. Noah was not perfect. Uh, he, he, he still had a sin nature just like each one of us. But he found grace. And by faith, we read in Hebrews 11, by faith he was moved with fear and he prepared an ark to the saving of his household. God didn't fully punish the sins in the Old Testament. He withheld, as it were, his wrath until Jesus Christ came and he lived and died on Calvary's cross. And when he was on that cross, dear friend, he was bearing the wrath of God. Now let's get back to propitiation for just a moment. The NIV translates it as the atoning sacrifice. Uh, I think the ESV, the New King James, and the King James translate it propitiation. And I think that's the propitiation there. It deals with turning away wrath. Turning away wrath. Now, uh, some are somewhat reticent because it was often used in, uh, in conjunction with pagan gods, satisfying the wrath of a pagan god. And if you know anything about the pagan gods, the Roman gods, many of them were capricious. They were evil themselves. God is not like that, though. This is not the idea of trying to satisfy uh, a capricious god. We're talking about here in verse 25. It says that God himself caused Jesus to be the propitiation. God didn't need somebody to talk him into being merciful. It was all God's idea to save you and me. It was the mind of God. And it didn't just happen thousands of years into, into human history. You know, when, you know when God decided that Jesus would die? He was the lamb slain of the world. We're talking about a God who planned to save you long before Adam and Eve ever fell in that garden, dear friend. This was God's idea. And notice this. God, this is how... God is a holy and a righteous holy. He must judge. He must have wrath against sin. So herein lies a dilemma. We have a holy God who must punish sin 
So how on earth are we ever going to be made right with God? Well, here's what God did, dear friend. God took his wrath that belonged to you and to me, and he turned it on himself. On the cross, Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God for you and me. You ever wonder why he was praying in the garden of Gethsemane and his sweat became as drops of blood and he said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus was not afraid of the nails. He was not afraid of the crown of thorns. It was the thought of bearing the wrath of God and having the sin of the world that belonged to you and I placed upon him while he was suspended between the heaven and the earth and the whole earth went dark for hours and the earth began to quake because the wrath of God was being poured out on His Son, the precious Son of God. Are you ready to worship God? I'm glad you sing that song. How an awesome one. It says in verse 26, to declare Isaiah that He might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. Let me tell you something. God is just. God punished, God punished sin for all. Let me tell you what. God is going to punish evil. If you die apart from Jesus Christ, you will experience the wrath of God. I promise you that. And it's not just an instantaneous thing that will be done and you'll be annihilated. You will suffer throughout eternity. The Bible does not teach annihilation. The Bible teaches everlasting punishment for the wicked. I don't have time to develop that, but you want, if you don't believe it, come see me after church. And I'll walk you through that. What a horrifying concept to spend all of eternity in torment, in flames, without a drink of water. Think about how hot it's been this summer. Think about, think about having this multiplied a hundred times over. Not being able to get a drink of water. Being in solitary confinement. Likely in chains, in outer darkness. People say, well, I saw a picture. Somebody was holding up a sign and said that they were going to hell. And they were part of it. Oh, dear friend, you're going to go to hell party. Hell's going to be one, one miserable experience of suffering after another for all of eternity. And not only will you be suffering and you won't be able to see your friends, but you'll be able to hear them weeping, wailing and gnashing of teeth. God's going to punish righteousness and that's why he's just. But God did something about the That's why God justify those who don't deserve it. That is why God can justify the ungodly. People say, well, that's not fair. Exactly. You want God to be fair. You want God to give you what you don't deserve. It's all about. Now, that brings us to verse 27. Paul says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. In other words, do we, is there anything we can brag about? Remember last week, Paul says that the law causes every mouth to be stopped before God and the whole world becomes guilty. I believe the same is true of our righteousness. But we ought not to ever boast of our own righteousness. But if any man glories, if any man glories, let him glory the Lord. If any man boasts, Paul says something in Galatians that's glorious. He said that I should glory except the Lord Jesus Christ by which I am crucified unto the world and the world for me. Hallelujah. Glory in the wondrous cross. I'm going to boast of There's nothing I did. Wretched sinner. Christ 
But thank God when he looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees the blood. The righteousness of his son. No, it's by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude, verse 28, Excuse me. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews, I always say that. Might have been Paul, might have been somebody else. We're not exactly, the theologians are all divided. One thing I know for sure, the Holy Ghost inspired the book of Hebrews. I can tell you that for sure. And they were facing a dilemma. The Hebrew Christians were, the, these Messianic Jews, they, they were facing a temptation to go back under the law of uh, the old way of doing things. And the writer of Hebrews brings it to a, a climax, if you will, an apex in chapter 11. And he talks about every one of those Old Testament heroes, even our friend Moses, the one that the Pharisees, that, that they look to as being their, uh, their mentor. Moses, the, the Bible starts with, with, with he says, by faith, God created the worlds, the heaven and the earth. And he says, by faith, God, uh, faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Noah moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By faith, Abraham called and he went out not knowing where he was going. He looked for a city whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for a city that had foundations. By faith, Jacob leaned upon his staff and worshipped. By faith, Joseph gave commandment concerning his bones to be carried out, uh, to be carried, to be eventually brought to the promised land. By faith, Moses kept the Passover, not fearing the wrath of the king, seeing him who was invisible. By faith, Gideon. By faith, all the Old Testament heroes. By faith, David. By faith, by faith, by faith. Every one of the Old Testament saints were saved the same way. By faith, not by the works of the law. You and I are saved by faith. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he, also, is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. God is the Savior of every human being. That's why I could... Uh, I can say unequivocally that the foot of the cross, the playing field, is equal. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female or Asian or Latino. We come all in need of salvation, seeing it is one God, verse 30, which and uncircumcision through faith. God does not have two plans of salvation going simultaneously. There is one plan of salvation. There is one are not numerous roads to God. I go my way. You've got your path. I've got my path. I'm doing my own thing. There is but one way to be. That is that you and I confess that we are sinners. We repent of our sin. We turn to Jesus Christ. We accept that Jesus died for our sins, that he, that he died for our sins, that He rose again for our justification. And all we have to do is simply put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and you will be declared not guilty by God. Finally, verse 31, he says, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Or in Greek, meganoia. The, the word God is not in the original uh, autographs here. But meganoia. God forbid. Uh, if I could say it uh, in a modern way, a thousand times, no. We don't do away with the law. He says, yea, we establish the law. See, the law is not evil. Paul says the law is holy and the law is just. The law was given by God. The law was breathed by God. Every word of God was breathed, inspired by God. The law was glorious. The Bible, the Bible says that the law 
free. The law shows us. However, the law has an inherent weakness because the law cannot save. The law cannot empower us to do what is right. It is weak in that respect. But the law, however, is our schoolmaster. Paul says the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So what is the function of the law? The law should be upheld. The law shows us the very nature and the holiness of God. But the law never meant to save us. The to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to invite you this morning. We're going to have an invitation here. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior... Don't leave this parking lot without calling upon the name of the Lord. If you're watching this broadcast on YouTube or YouTube, don't turn away. I tell you, the time is short. I believe Jesus Christ is coming again. No man knows the day or the hour, but that's the next event on God's prophetic calendar. And it is an event that has no sign preceding it. It will be in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, it will happen in an atom of time. Jesus Christ will come. And those who are in Christ and remain will be caught up together to be with the Lord. Those who are not ready will be left behind to the horrors of the tribulation and to endure the wrath of God. But believer, unbeliever, you may not live. You may not live to see the rapture. A lot of people that death came for them suddenly. They expected to live a long, healthy life. They died as a quote Death might come quickly for you. It might come for you today. This might be your last altar call. What will you do with the invitation? The blood has been shed. God has, has, he has set forth the Son of God to be the propitiation. Jesus has taken the wrath of God on your behalf. He's paid the ransom for your deliverance in, by his precious shed blood. If you'll put your faith and your trust in that, you too can be saved. Sister Sharon, Sister Judy. Don. I want you to just meditate upon these truths and, and I'm thankful we have our associational mission strategist here with us today brother David Ross I'm going to ask him if he'll make his way up here as we give this invitation I want to recognize him but you call upon the name of the Lord if you don't know Jesus Christ Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved